Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. First Peter 1, 1 to 5. At the end of the reading, I'll end with the words, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Britannia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a new, a new living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's, powerful, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dennis. And good morning again, everyone. Well, it's nice to, um, especially those who are coming for the first time, we're happy to have you around. And you come at a good time because we're just starting a new, a brand new series, as Emmanuel told us. And we've called it Living on the Edge as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Um, before we get into uh, what we have today, I would just ask us for us to quickly say a word of prayer and ask God to be with us. Lord, we ask that you show us how to order our steps in your word by first being present with us. You can't show us without your presence. But we also ask, Lord, that we will be made aware of your presence. And Lord, we ask for attentive hearts and so that we can have attentive ears in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask for your spirit, Lord. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now. Help us with any distractions. In Jesus' name we pray. Time we spoke about contradictions, you know, some things that you, on the one hand you like, but on the other hand you are wondering, Ugh. let me get, share one contradiction that I have in my life, but I think all of us, at least most of us, will identify with, which is this. I like traveling, but I hate visa applications. How many of you like visa applications? Right, let me just see the, the weird people around us. You see, it's not... Why, why, do, why, do we, why do I hate visa applications? Let me say, why do you? I mean, they are very, first of all, they are very long, aren't they? Like, remind you of some of these forms that you have to fill, jam, even jam forms, so they went like that. You, all these forms, so long. Then they ask you silly questions, like how are you meant to remember the date that you started university? Not the month, not the year. They say, they give you the exact, and you must feel something. And the problem is, after you feel this, you don't even remember what you feel this time. Then the next time, you now feel something else. <laughs> That's why they catch you, you have been lying. Dates you, you entered, the date you left, all the dates you traveled to a particular country. Usually, if you travel, you have done, it's gone. You're not storing the dates somewhere. Then there are records of your previous employment. And some of us want to forget some of our previous employments, like the things that happened there. And when you put all of these things, after you've put in everything, you try to be honest, it's not still like you are guaranteed to get the visa after all. But if you do get it, what happens? You probably have to return six months in six months' time to reapply again because they only gave you for six months. At best, they'll give you a year or two. And yet, when I travel and mix with people from other countries, and we are sharing our you know, um, uh, experiences, 
I find that they have different stories. Oh. You know, my South African friends, they get 10 years visa from the US. 10 years. I did not even know that the US gave 10 years visa. <laughs> Ghana, Ghana, our younger brother. They give them, yes, they are. They are our younger brothers. We, we, we beat them in Jolof. We beat everything. Ghana get five years. Five years. And then you meet people from other countries in Europe and North America and all of that. And you find out that, you know, when you're talking about, oh, let's meet in this place, let's meet in this place, you're always the one saying, eh, it depends. I need time to, you know, they're already buying tickets. You are still praying to God. <laughs> Man, will I go to Abuja to apply for this embassy? You know, yeah. And so, at some point, you know, when I reflected on the hardships that I and we all go through in the world of global travel, I am left with one thing, to reflect on one thing as the main cause. You know what it is? The color of my passport. In other words, it shows you that the issue is really that I'm Nigerian. And so in other words, my hardships force me to look at what? My identity. You're going through all these different things as we're going through this stuff. I look and say, it's who I am. It's who I am. In this new series, we're going to consider what it takes to live in this world, the real world, the world of Lagos. Not Lagos of selective photoshopped uh, pictures. And no, please stop using that Lekki uh, Bridge. It's, it has been overused in everything. I think, oh, sorry, you can use it. That's the, that's the picture on our website. All right, OK, OK, let's take that back. <laughs> but you know, a lot of us go through the Lagos of filled with hardship and suffering. Many of us basically living on the edge of everything. Bankruptcy, divorce, terminal illness, perpetual singleness, a malfunctioning society. Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see it in verse 1. And he writes to Christians scattered around the Roman world, all those places that Dennis was struggling to call. And they are probably facing more difficult conditions than we have been going through. And this letter is about encouraging them on how to live in this world in light of those conditions. But before he goes to all the different elements of the letter, he starts by telling them the why of the conditions. And the why is rooted in who they are. You see, Peter in this message and in this passage is going to challenge them by saying, your hardship should force you to consider your identity. You are Christians. Now, you see, understanding this identity will make you make much more sense about your condition but will also provide you with the ability to live through them. Which then makes the question which forms our sermon title, who is a Christian all the more important? I wonder, ah, who is a Christian? I'm in church, what kind of question is that? Is the people outside there? But actually, as I said, we go back first to our identity to deal with our current situations. Now, to answer that question, Peter gives us three answers. A Christian is chosen, a Christian is a foreigner, and a Christian is an heir. A Christian is chosen, a Christian is a foreigner, and a Christian is an heir. So let's start with the first one, a Christian is chosen. If I ask the question, I did this in Theology Day, who are you? How would you answer that? It's a question that we don't want others to answer for us, but we don't know how to answer very well for ourselves. Because is it by your ethnicity? Is it by your height? Is it by your skin color? Is it by your vocation? Is it by your marital status? Who are you? Again, I said we don't like people answering for us because we, say we don't like people putting us into boxes into boxes defining us. All right, you don't want people to define you. Can you define yourself? The problem is that most times when we have to define ourselves, we pretend. And by pretense, I mean that we project an image of who we really are not, but we would like to be. How many of you have ever pretended? You won't answer the question. You are just pretending now. <laughs> and what's the worst fear of a pretender? 
exposure, to be found out for who they really are. In other words, when we try to define ourselves, we are not fully comfortable. So we still need, we still need the affirmation of others to be sure of who we are. Because part of identity is defining self-worth. And even if I say, let's say Muiwa says he's a wonderful footballer, he's a wonderful footballer, come and see his football skills. I come, Philip comes, Beatrice comes, we all look at him. We say, ah, Muiwa, you're a wonderful footballer. We play football together. We say, Muiwa, you're a wonderful footballer. But Muiwa realizes that he's way better than all of us. And so really, our affirmation doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but then Lionel Messi now comes. And he and Muiwa do one-on-one. -on -one. And at the end of it, he says, you're a good footballer. The next time Muiwa says he's a good footballer, he'll be, his chest will be out a little bit more. You see, he's been defined now, but he needed the affirmation of someone else to identify him, to define him. And you see, in the same way, Christians should not really be defining ourselves. When I ask you who you are, you don't look into yourselves. We are meant to define ourselves, not by ourselves, but by God. And that is what Peter does in verses 1a and verse 2a. Who is a Christian? Look at what he says. To God's elect. A Christian is elect. In verse 2, he says, who have been chosen? God's elect, who have been chosen. Who is a Christian? An elect. God's elect. Someone who has been chosen. Now, it depends. Chosen by God for what? What does the chosen mean? Elected to what? To what kind of office? Now, Peter doesn't leave us with any doubt as to what he means because he's going to explain it further. He's going to explain it further, but again, in relation to God. And if you remember, we've always spoken about God as one God, but how many persons? It's the same God. One God, but three Persons, three distinct persons. And so when Peter is going to describe what it means to be chosen by God, God's elect, he's going to describe it in a united package, but relating to the three persons of the one God. Do we understand? You are chosen by one God. And so however we're going to explain it is unified, but it's unified and described in three different ways relating to the three persons of the one God. It's a unified package because it's one God doing the choosing. But it's described in three different ways because there are three persons in that one God. Is this clear? And so what he describes, when he describes we are chosen, he says something like this. We are chosen according to a plan through a particular agency for a specific purpose. According to a plan, according to a plan, through a particular agency for a specific purpose. What's that? According to, look at verse 2, according to foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God. Through a particular agency, what? The Spirit's sanctification. For a specific purpose, the covenant with Jesus. So I'm going to explain some of those things. Um, and I want to explain them in a way, you see, quite often we go into the Bible, want to interpret the Bible, we look at a particular word, and the mistake sometimes, I'm not saying this is wrong, but sometimes what people then do is to go and get an English dictionary. And you see, sometimes the meaning of a word cannot just be the dictionary meaning of it. Sometimes there is a context to that word. It is like if I say that you people have been annoying me severally. And prior to two months ago, I went and checked in the dictionary. That severally will not mean what you think I mean, right? If I say you people have been annoying me severally two months ago, what would, what would that mean? That you've been annoying me a lot. But that's not what severally meant. Severally meant to sever, to, to, to uh, separate, which will now not make sense. However, if you have been in Nigeria for all this while, you know that severally has a different Meaning there's a context in which we use it. We've owned the word. Now Oxford have put it as in part of their dictionary. It was such a shame. But anyway, 
And so sometimes when we look at the Bible and you just say, well, don't immediately rush out of the Bible to look for the meaning. Look in the context, but sometimes that context is not immediately in that book. Especially in the New Testament, sometimes the context is the Old Testament. Amen. So Peter is writing to a church, God's people of the New Testament. But you would really understand what he's saying if you look at the context of God's people in the Old Testament. Remember, Peter did not have the New Testament as part of his Bible. Peter only had what we call the Old Testament. So to understand what Peter means by all these words, these deep words, we must look at the parallel of God's people in the Old Testament. Are we ready for that? All right, so let's go. I'm going to work backwards. So let's first look at this thing, the, the last part. Now, a significant thing happened at the inception of the nation of Israel. And this happened in Exodus chapter 24. What was the thing that happened? They entered into a covenant with God. You see, these people were brought into this wilderness called the wilderness of Sinai. And I'll get into how they got there. But they were brought into this wilderness of Sinai. And God now wanted to do something with them. Very, very significant. And I said in Exodus 24, look at verse 7 and verse 8, what it says there. Verse 7 and verse 8. Then he took, he is Moses, who had spent some time with God, and God gave him words about how these people were meant to live, and he put it in a book, all right? A book he called the Book of the Covenant. Then he took the Book of the Covenant and read it to the people. They responded with, we will do everything the Lord said, has said, we will what? Okay. We will what? Okay. Moses then took the blood, and what did he do with the blood? on the people and said, this is the blood of the, that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Notice, God wanted to sign a covenant with them, ratify the covenant, so he shows them the terms of the covenant. For them to enter into the covenant, they have to agree to the terms of the covenant, but also that has to then be ratified with blood. And blood was, had been sprinkled on the book, and now blood is sprinkled on the people. And that is how they entered into the covenant. They entered, this action of entering into the covenant required two things. They had to agree to be obedient. We will obey. And then the blood had to be sprinkled on them. This is how the old covenant was ratified. How they became God's people through covenant. Amen. Look at verse 2 of 1 Peter again. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and what? Sprinkled with his blood. Do you see it? What is he talking about? He's talking about those who are chosen are chosen to be in covenant with Jesus Christ. The obedience is to be obedient to the terms of the covenant and sealed with blood. But now it's not the blood of an animal. It is the death of Jesus Christ for the atonement of the sins of the people who enter into covenant with him. Amen. So who is a Christian? One who is chosen to enter into covenant with God the death of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Let's move on. Back to Israel. But the covenant people... These covenant people, before they got to Sinai, you know what had happened to them? They were in Egypt under slavery. And God did something for them. God wanted, he had a special purpose for them. And so because of that special purpose, he did something to them in Egypt. And we see this in Exodus chapter 19. Remember, we were at Exodus 24. We go back five chapters before. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. What did he do to Egypt? Remember, they were under slavery, but God came to deliver them from slavery. It was God that delivered them. Moses said, stand and see the salvation of your God. God brought them out through a great salvation out of Egypt. And so he's saying, you yourself can see what I did to Egypt. What did I do? And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you Remember, God brought them to them, himself in Sinai. We are brought to covenant with Jesus Christ. 
So God brought them by himself. Now if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Treasured possession. There are some of us ladies here now. If I come into your room, right, because I'm seeing everywhere just twinkling and all of those things. You have, some of you have what you call stainless steel on your ears. Let's just call it what it is. It's stainless steel. Panda, you know, it's not, you understand, it's for, it's for everyday stuff. So if I come into your room, I just see that one that you bought for 500 bucks just there. Ah, who's found my, you can't find it. You just threw it away for 500. You understand this day. Well, some of you then, with all of those 10 different panda, you then have this one that you bought, somebody bought for you in Dubai. 18 carat gold. Not gold plated, though. 18 carat what? Do you just put it with the other ones? Eh? Where do you put it? You have a box first for it. And then that box is under one particular. Some of you even have safe for it. <laughs> Why is it there and the other one's not there? Because one is a treasured possession. And because it's a treasured possession, you set it, what, apart. The word setting apart can also be translated to being you consecrate it or you sanctify it different from the others, and you bring it out when your mother is about to do her 70th birthday, when your child is going to do his fifth birthday, when your child is going to get married. Do you understand? Your treasured possession is sanctified for a special purpose. Amen. So God said, I was bringing you into this special purpose to have a covenant with me to make you my treasured possession. That is why I brought you out of Egypt. In fact, another way he calls it is not just bringing them out from Egypt, but he's saying, because I love you, in Hosea 11.1, 1, because I love you, I called you out. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, what? I called my son. It's a call. So notice that the call preceded the covenant. Amen. He called them to a covenant. Go back to 1 Peter again. Those who were chosen before they entered the covenant with Jesus Christ, what happened to them? They, through, they, they were chosen through the sanctifying, the consecrating, or the calling of the Spirit. Before we came into Covenant with Christ, God called us. He called us to Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus' words in John chapter 6 are really important. Notice what Jesus says there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me does what? Draws them. He must call them out first. In verse 37, he says, all those the Father gives to me, the Father is the one that will give them. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. Why did you enter into covenant with Jesus Christ? Because you believed in him and the terms of the covenant. But why did you get to Jesus Christ in the first place? Because God drew you. God called you. The Spirit consecrated you for this special purpose. Does this make sense? But then... There's a third thing. Back to Israel again. And this one could be a little bit more complex. So Israel were called before the covenant. But before they were called, before they were called, who were they? What happened to them? Well, if you see Romans 11, it tells us something. Romans 11 verses 1 and 2. Before they were called, did God reject his people by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he what? He foreknew them before he called them and before then he then covenanted with them. Foreknown. They were foreknown. It's where we get the word, really, the Greek word is what we get. You know, when you go to a doctor, a doctor, you say, doctor, doctor, I'm sick. 
right, doctor, doctor, I'm sick. And then you find out they take all your vitals, they ask you questions, and then the doctor does what he diagnoses, right? Diagnoses your ailment. Now, notice with diagnosis, he has seen all the conditions and he's telling you what is wrong with you. This is what is wrong with you. That's a diagnosis. But there's also another thing a doctor does, which we call a prognosis. Now, a prognosis differs from a diagnosis because a prognosis is he's basically looking at a condition and he's saying, this is probably where this thing is going to end up in. He's almost predicting what is going to happen. Do we understand? A diagnosis tells you it's now in, it's what is happening and it tells you this is what is happening. But a prognosis is looking at certain things and saying this is what is going to happen. Do we understand that? Prognosis, prognosis, pro, for, gnosis, knowledge. Foreknown is really prognosis. So God foreknew Israel before he called them. Now, pro there, the prefix, as we said, is not just before the thing happened. It's before time, before anything happened in God's own economy, before time existed. So there's the pro. But let's talk about the know, the knowledge. What does it mean to know? Now, some of us will say something like knowledge is, about, is discovery. It is, but what kind of discovery? Ah, you say, well, God foreknew Israel. He knew Israel. He just knew them before that time that he should covenant with them. Is that what it's saying? Now, look at Amos chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Amos chapter 3. Depending on, if you look in different translations, you get something different. But hear this word, hear this word, people of Israel. The word Yahweh has spoken against you, against the family I brought out of Egypt. So we know it's Israel he's talking about, right? He's giving you descriptions. You only have I, if you read the NIV, it says chosen. If you read in ESV or KJV, it says known. You only have I known above all the families of the earth, of all the families of the earth. If I say that I know pre is true. If I say I know Tosin, my wife, it's true. In fact, the mere fact that I call their names tells you that I know them, isn't it? But if I then say, ah, Tosin, you are the only one I have known above all the women, uh, of all the women in City Church. What you people should be saying and praying as a pastor is that I only know her of all the women in City Church. You see, Adam, they said in KJV, knew his wife and she became pregnant. That is, there is a knowledge that a man should have of his wife that he should not have of other women that he knows. When God is saying, of you, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. He is not saying he doesn't know any of the families of the earth. Who created them in the first place? But that there is a special kind of an intimate knowledge that he has with Israel, a set apart, a consecrated knowledge. Because there is treasured possession. There is a knowledge of Israel that he has that he does not have of any other nation. Amen. Amen. That knowledge with the four is what four knowledge is, or with the pro. Maybe I should use one illustration to find out. I'll dig into this a little bit, but let's put it together. You know, Nigerians were a very good, proud people. We're the giants of Africa, aren't we? Giants. Now, giants of Africa, but we tend not to do much as giants globally. Just take sports. We don't win things globally in sports. We don't win things generally globally anyway. That's why the ones that we have won, we don't forget anywhere. Atlanta 96 gold medal. Yeah. Eh? We remember that one. Okocha. Other people that shot with USA 94, did we win anything? We didn't win anything. Yeah, see this point. Went second round. Yeah, we didn't even get to quarterfinals. But we now think of uh, first under 17 World Cup, 1985, right? Unukal Bade, those kinds of people. We won that one. 
93, Kanu, Wilson, Oruma. We won that one. Under 17. It's under 17 we celebrate to. Not even under 23. So when Nigeria wins something globally, we don't forget. Which reminds me of this lady. How many of us remember this lady? Agami. Oh, look at her. Just, just look at her. She's the only one we have produced. <laughs> Who is Agbani Darego? Agbani Darego was Miss World of 2001. Miss World of 2001. Now, if I ask you why she got the crown of Miss World in 2001, how did she get the crown? Why did she get the crown? She got the crown because when the time came to announce who was going to win among the last three, Agbani's name was announced. <laughs> is, it, but is, that, is that wrong? No, is it wrong? If somebody else's name was called, would, would you, the reason why Agbani was crowned, this is really true. If Agbani was not called, she would not go to the crown. Agbani was called, announced to the crown. Amen. <laughs> I don't understand that. This seems simple to me. But the next question is, why was Agbani called to the crown? I'll tell you why Agbani was called to the crown. Agbani was called to the crown because Agbani was chosen. She was selected. Isn't it? I think that if I remember, quite, they were voting. People were voting, calling in at the time. So Agbani was selected above all the others. So notice, she was called, she was selected, and because she was selected, she was called out, and because she was called out, she was taken to the crown. Amen. She was selected or she was chosen. But after she was chosen, in, in the time of the event, in real time in the event, she had to be announced. The one who was chosen needed to be announced to the crown. Question. Why was she chosen? I'll tell you why she was chosen. She was chosen because those who were selecting had knowledge that Agbani, of Agbani's superior qualities above all the other contestants. They looked at Agbani and they said, they looked at all the other people and they said, this one has better superior qualities, figure, speech, beauty. She had superior qualities above the others. They exercised knowledge there. They looked and they exercised their knowledge to say, this one should be selected. And when they selected her, she was announced to the crown. Agbani was chosen according to the foreknowledge of those who are selecting. Amen. Amen. And when she was chosen, she was called out. And when she was called out, she was put to the crown. She was crowned. So she was chosen according to her superior qualities, based on the knowledge of the selectors. So I guess Israel, too, was chosen according to God's knowledge of Israel, that Israel will have superior qualities above all the families of the earth. That Israel would be the kind of people God would want to use. That Israel were more than all the people around. That Israel were more righteous than all the nations, according to their God's superior knowledge. Israel was going to be more superior, just like Agbani was superior, over all the people. God had this knowledge before time of Israel's super, superior qualities. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's see. Confirm that. Understand then, for, oh, sorry, for you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. He's what? Treasured possession, we see it again. And remember, he chose them because of their qualities. They were much more. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. Ah, okay. 
For you are the fewest of all peoples. Okay, I guess they didn't have the quality, the quality of population. But surely Israel were more righteous than everybody else. Because Agbani was more beautiful than everybody else. Surely they were more. Keep going. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. The choice that God makes, according to his foreknowledge, is not the way we think about foreknowledge. Again, don't just use an outside example to interpret this. Foreknowledge here does not mean that God chooses because he knows that these people are going to be superior to the other ones. It's not because he knows that these people will believe me, the other ones. No, that's not what it is. It is a choice that God had that he decided I'm going to set my affection on these people. Go back to what he says there. The Lord did not set his affection on you for any quality that you had. This is not why he chose Israel. He just chose them. Go to verse 8. He chose them, he says, but it was because the Lord what? Loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out. That is why he called you. He brought you out. With a mighty hand and redeemed you. That is why eventually he brings you to a covenant. Redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king. Why does, why does God choose? Yes, God can see everything from eternity. But it's not just that he looked down the corridors of time and then said, Muiwa, I know we'll believe. No. God set, chose Muiwa and then set a plan for Muiwa to eventually come and believe. Do you understand? God looks and there's nobody to love because nobody has any quality inside of them. He sees that everyone will have a heart to rebel against him. And so what does he do? I set my affection on him. And when he does so, whatever God does, he did it before time. But what does he do? He actualizes it or executes it in time. In the same way, when we think about the church, when he says in 1 Peter again, those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, it always affects. Listen, the people are chosen the Savior is chosen before time, and the plan also is made before time. Do you believe me? All right, look at 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter, again, go to the next one. But you are a chosen people. The people are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special now, treasured possession, his special possession. Then in 1 Peter 1 verse 20, listen what it says about the Savior. He was chosen when? Okay, the Savior was chosen before the creation of the world, but remember we said what happens before time is then executed, what? In time. But was revealed in these last times for what? Your sake. And this choice to set the affection of the people, to set their destiny, their destiny, which he had thought about before time, their pre-destiny. Remember, destiny is the end, the goal. But what is a plan? A plan is how you get from a particular origin to a particular destiny, isn't it? To a particular destination. A plan takes you from here to there. So God has chosen, you are a chosen people. He set his affection on you just because he set his affection on you. And then he chooses the means, the savior. But then he brings that savior in time. And it's all according to a plan. Look at um, verse 23. This man was handed, that's Jesus, over to you by God's word, deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. A chosen people, saved by a preordained Savior, according to his love and deliberate plan. This is why in Romans chapter 8, it says this. For those whom God, those whom God foreknew or chose, he also what? That is a plan. Predestined. Pre, the same prefix that happened before time, destination. 
predestined to be conformed to the image of? That's the destination. And those he predestined, he? And those he called, he? Because you are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, the covenant. And those he justified, he will what? Glorify. And some of us will say, ah, this, I don't know, this, this troubles me. Let me ask you this question. And don't worry, this is where I'm spending most of my time. Let me ask you this question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Well, some of us are here, and a lot of us, at least even when we first came, you are here because you drove yourself here. Or you took public transport here. Am I lying? Or you took an Uber here. Is that not why you're here? Yes, that's why you're here. But why did you drive yourself here? And take, pro eh? <laughs> Why did you drive yourself here? You drove yourself here because either somebody invited you, you saw an ad on Instagram, or you, <coughs> sorry, you saw an ad on Instagram, or this church was recommended, or what? <laughs> or you foreknew the church. <laughs> or the church was recommended. Okay, why was the church on Instagram? Why were you invited to the church? And why was it recommended? And because the church exists and it was planted. Why was the church planted? Because with the help of so many other people, my wife and I returned from the UK to plant the church. Why did we return from the UK to plant the church? Because while in the UK, I had a radical change in my theology. Why did I have a radical change in my theology? Because I was reading some books from certain parts of the Christian world that I had not known before. Why was I reading those books? Because I listened to a guy called Ashley Pro one day. I was captivated by what he was saying. And then after looking at him, reading him, I saw he introduced me to so many other people. Why did I listen to Ashley Pro in the first place? Because I was in Peter Thompson's house, and Arsis Pro was on the screen, and he had been recommending Arsis Pro to me for a while. Why was I in Peter Thompson's house? <laughs> I was in Peter Thompson's house because he and I had become good friends over years. Why had we become, how did we become friends in the first place? Because when I moved to the UK, uh, very early on in London, I went to his church, um, a church that was part of the movement I was part of at the time. And then at closing, he decided, he asked me whether I would need a ride. And so I followed him, and we started talking, and we found that we had things in common, and we had been talking ever since. But he was in the UK. How come he was in the UK first? <laughs> because his wife, Nancy, was a citizen of the UK. Haven't been born there. Why was she born there? <laughs> because her dad, who eventually became one of the highest ranking judges in, in Nigeria, was he studied in the UK and he gave birth to her there. Why did he study in the UK? Because he got, most likely got a scholarship to study in the UK. Why are you here? Because Nancy Thompson's father got a scholarship. <laughs> in some ways, yes. Or another way, why are you here? Because from the foundation of time, God had chosen you, had set you as a special possession, and then he is, he is weaving the intricate decisions of millions and millions of people to eventually get you, to call you, and bring you to his son. Do you understand? This does not invalidate the faith that we put in, the decision we make. But if you stand and just say, well, the decision was all mine and God had nothing to do with it, Jesus says, unless, unless the Father draws you, you cannot come. And so who is a Christian? A Christian is one who is chosen. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Sprinkle uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and obedience to, uh, for the purpose of obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. 
The reason you hear all of this is not for you to start having too many philosophical debates in your mind. It is to tell you that your life is not an accident. That in the midst of whatever suffering you are going to, that God knows you. God decided to set his affection on you. It may not make sense now, but remember, you are God's chosen. I have to rush through these two other last two points, but the second thing is this. Peter says this in the uh, Christian and the foreigner, that they are scattered exiles. To God elect, exiles scattered. So you see, the first one point, we uh, define Christian identity in relation to God, the vertical dimension. But now we have to define the Christian identity in relation to their society, the horizontal di uh, di dimension. He calls them exiles, scattered, and this part, uh, they were scattered in all the, the different places he calls are in Asia Minor. Asia Minor was a region that was under where Turkey is now, but it was a region that was under the Roman Empire. Now, if you study Jewish history uh, through the Bible, remember that exiles referred to Israel's, uh, exile referred to Israel's displacement from Jerusalem to Babylon, later Persia, Greece, and then this, after later they came back and they were under Roman occupation. But it was really to the land of Babylon and then Persia for the judgment of their sin. Now, so they are now in a land, a foreign land, and thinking how to be Jewish in a land that is non-Jewish, doesn't have a temple and all of those things, was a pretty big deal. Now, Peter is taking that same thinking and he's to people who most likely were in some part of the Roman Empire, let's say, I think most likely Rome. They were Christians in Rome, and for some reason, they were sent out from Rome, and now they were scattered in all these different regions. Do we understand? And he's saying, you too, remember, there were people that were scattered as exiles. You too now, as Christians, you are scattered as exiles. He uses that word that they should be familiar with, that phrase that they should be familiar with to describe their current condition. Now remember, as exiles, they are foreigners. And a foreigner is a person who is not a citizen of where they live, and as a result does not fully fit in with the local communities, norms, and culture. I don't know how many of us have lived as a foreigner, but living as a foreigner, I can tell you, is not easy. Because on the one hand, you are trying to really fit in. But on the other hand, you're always aware about how different you are. And sometimes it can get nasty. It can get nasty because you are held in suspicion for your difference. Reminds me of a time when um, I was living as a foreigner for a while. And so there was a time I was in a church that I was going to. And there were the, the young guys around there. And uh, there were about three or four of them. We were in a prayer. We were, doing, we were praying. And I think we just finished. So a group of us were praying. So there were some young guys, and I was asking, I was just telling them, I was challenging them basically to say that they didn't have game, that there are so many wonderful, eligible, godly ladies in our church, and they weren't getting married. Like, you had the guys, you had the girls, and you didn't have married. What's the problem? So I was telling them, I said, I haven't observed anything. I said, the reason is because you people are waiting to fall in love. Fall in love. And I was trying to tell them, I said, look, biblically, commitment in some ways comes before the love. In fact, the commitment comes and then comes and strengthens the love. You set the affection on the person after you see the things. You love the person. You enter into whatever is person, and eventually you guys grow in love. So I was giving them the advice. And there was one nice young, old lady. I won't call her name, but I can't forget her two names. The lady said, well, we, we believe in love here. I'm not quite sure what you believe in, because I've heard that in parts of where you are from, they force people into marriage. But we, we believe in love. Ah. You think it's still paining me? Because there were two things there. I first wanted to say, Auntie, where I come from, the way we insult people that insult us. But the other part of where I come from, we learn to respect elders. So I just, I took the insult inside. 
living as a foreigner can be difficult because sometimes you are held in suspicion for your differences. When she said that thing, I remember there and there that I was a foreigner. And Christians, too, are foreigners to the prevailing non-Christian aspects of our society. You cannot always agree with nor adhere to the prevailing cultural and practice of your society. This is part of your identity. Some will say to you, why do you feel the need to be accountable to people less wealthy than you? It's pretentious. Or, why do you feel the need to apologize all the time, even as someone who deserved your road rage? It's hypocritical. Why do you give money regularly to your church when you haven't bought all you want? You are brainwashed. Why do you hold on to that sex ethic? It's impracticable. It is pretentious, hypocritical, and, you, and they feel you are brainwashed and it's impracticable to them because you are a foreigner to them. You see, opposition to the views and practice you hold there should remind you, not should force you to assimilate into the culture, but should remind you, I am a foreigner. Don't always expect to fit in. Now, but foreigners have to still be part of the society and the culture that they are in. So this is not asking for us to totally withdraw. We are neither to be fully assimilated nor totally withdraw. We are meant to integrate and yet be distinct. But always remember you're a foreigner. We'll look at this. There's a sermon that we'll, pre we'll talk about this at more, in more depth. But remember you're a foreigner. Finally, a Christian is an heir. Now, we've described the Christian identity in relation to God. We've described it in relation to society. But in light of the present hardship, what about describing in relation to their future? Well, verses 3 to 5 do that. They describe the Christian as an heir. Praise be to God, the Father and Lord of Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, the coming salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. The next thing you ask me is, ah, wait, wait. You say I'm an heir. I have an inheritance. Is it worth it and is it guaranteed? That's what we think of investment. Is it worth it or is it guaranteed? Do you know the richest country in the world? Right? Some of us will say America. You will be right in some ways if you take out the total GDP. But if you're asking, and most people like to rank it based on per capita GDP, that is on the average, on the average, each person, each person in this country, how much are they worth? That's a better way to know how rich a society is. And in that regard, if you take CIA's uh, information in 20, from 2014 and uh, after, in that regard, the America that is number one all of a sudden becomes 19th because their per capita income is $59,500 per annum. Wow, right? And they are 19th. Though. 19th. And some of us are like, if you are thinking of Niger, Niger, it depends. We are 166. They said 5,900. But some people are even saying that, no, it's even lower than that. 5,900. So let's just put Niger away. We are not there. 166. Ah, Lenin Bay. All right. <laughs> But for info, as I said, info given by CIA from 2014 and, below and, and after, you know the number one country? Qatar. Qatar has an average income, per capita income, wait for it, $124,500 only per person. Do you, know what, do, do, do you know what that is? That's money. Right? That is like, imagine that's earning like 3.5 something every, every month. Millionaire. But that's not the only reason why they are rich. Because that's the average, the average annual income. But part of the reason why they're rich is that, you see, they have so much money. Their gas, their liquefied natural gas is the best in the world, is the cheapest, so they sell. They have so much money that even though all their citizens live a very good life, they still have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. So at some point, they created a sovereign wealth fund. And they put on, uh, people on the, over it. It's called the Qatar Investment Authority. Right? As of 2017, that thing was worth $330 billion. 
dollars. Now, if I say, ah, that's a lot, that's, that, that's a lot, but wait for it. It's for um, 300,000 citizens alone. Now, do the math. Exactly. That means each person already has about $1.1 million invested for them. On top of the 124000 you receive annually. And some of you are saying, God, why didn't you burn me in Qatar? <laughs> because think about it. They've invested in places. They're invested in Shell. They're invested in VW, Barclays. They are the fourth largest real estate owners in New York, in Manhattan. If, your if a child is born today as a Qatari, you know what that means? They are born into a living hope. <laughs> That's what it is. That is what it is. Literally. But you know what Peter is saying? He says, by God's mercy, becoming a Christian is to be born into a living hope, not as a citizen of any nation of the world, Qatar, Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, that have a lot of money, but a citizen of God's kingdom with an incredible inheritance. See, what is that inheritance? Listen, while a Qatari's future is secured economically, it is not secured immortally. What if your inheritance, you can get an inheritance that is secured both ways? Because the person, there are Qataris that are dying today. What happened to the inheritance? Oh, it's gone to somewhere. But what Peter is saying is that I have, that in Christ, there is an inheritance that no amount of present suffering can be compared to. Paul said, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Death cannot hold you. It is the inheritance of living forever in, with Christ and having all the riches of the world. But then you say, is it guaranteed? Is it guaranteed? Because again, the Qataris one is almost fully guaranteed, but sometimes, you know, the global economic forces can be really, can take a huge toll on it. And again, as I said, early death means that you may not have it. This, our own, that we're saying is best, is guaranteed to be received. It cannot go bust nor lose value. Why can I say it will not go bust or lose value? You know why? It's not kept in any bank here on earth. It is reserved where? In heaven. And guess who is looking after it? It's not, oh, we got one WizKid, investment WizKid. No, WizKid is not an investment banker. You know what I mean. A WizKid, you understand. All right. Who is looking after it? The creator and the controller of the entire universe. God is the one that is keeping your inheritance. You see, but is it guaranteed? You see, he's keeping the air. He says he keeping, he's keeping what? Verse 4, spoil of faith. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded. You are shielded by God's own power. The heir and the inheritance are both kept. But then you say, eh, you know, there are people who have made bad investments. They promise, promise, promise. Some of you invested in all those Ibadan, you know those Ibadan things, you know, Specto, and uh, the people that know it, they're laughing at me. This was the precursor to MMM. I can see, I know the people that did it. I did it too, small, so let's leave that side there. How do we know? I'll tell you how we know. A few years ago, I went to Equa, you know Equa Atlantic, the office? They have this wonderful model, big model showing you what the thing will be like. Now, if you go there and you look at the model, you'll be like, and it's a model, it doesn't mean that will happen. We have, you know, in Nigeria, we have the spirit of abandoned project. <laughs> that we have abandoned project everywhere. How do we know that this thing is not going to be an abandoned project? Let me tell you why. How do I know that Eco Atlantic will be a reality? You know why? Because right now there are people living there. Very few. About three buildings. But there are people living there. Because there are people living there now, I know that there will be more people that will live there. Amen. How do I know that I will live forever? How do I know that I will live forever? How do I know that this resurrection that God is pointing to, that Jesus will do at the end, how do I know that it will happen? You know why? Because Jesus is already living there. Jesus has already resurrected. Who are you? Who is a Christian? A Christian is elect before time 
foreigner in the current time, heir of the time to come. You are not an accident. God is in control of your life. Don't be surprised about difficulties with society. Your guaranteed best life is yet to come. I want to finish with this. Let us all read 2 Timothy 1, 9 to 10 together. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but is now being revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. Through the gospel. Let us go. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.